0: This March, the state of Tennessee was the first state to explicitly ban drag shows in public spaces. The bill was signed by Governor Billy just hours after the measure passed in the state Senate. There are 14 states in total that are looking to do the same. Some of those states include Kentucky, Missouri, Texas, Idaho, and West Virginia. It's curious to me the Tennessee, who obviously now houses a bajazillion celebrities in Nashville that left the likes of even Austin, Los Angeles, and New York, was the first to do so. Texas is on the heels. Um, Another one that's curious to me, considering the fact that it's really the home of pageantry, both on the drag side and with little girls. And uh, they've also got Austin and Dallas. But, oh wait, hold on, I forgot. It's also the second largest state to have uh, school shootings. So maybe it's not all that curious. Distraction tactic politics occurs on all sides from all political parties. I'm not naive. I'm not dumb. And I know that. I'd be a fool not to mention that. But it does feel like to me that after the Trump era and the rise of social media sites like Parler and 4chan, dangerous misinformation spreads like HPV in a celebrity friend group. It's awful. I love drag. I really do. I'm not really like a drag brunch kind of gal. It's not obviously because I don't like drag. It's because I don't like brunch and I don't like to drink during the day. But I love the glamour, the glitz, the theater of drag. And I was lucky enough, um, and you'll hear me say this sort of at nauseum to each of our guests today. I grew up in it in San Francisco. I saw some sick drag growing up. I implore you, if you are typically conservative and you listen to this podcast, to keep going. I'm shocked that you listen to this podcast, and I love it. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I really got an opportunity to speak to two legends in the drag space about what's going on. Both of them are participating in a telethon called Drag Is Not Dangerous on May 7th. Um, I'll be putting some information online about that and definitely in the show notes. But first up, I talked to Peppermint, and Peppermint is a legend, She's an actress, singer, and really a groundbreaking drag race contendant. She was the first openly trans woman to compete on the show. Um, And since then, she has graced the Broadway stage and off-Broadway stage a bajillions of times (laughs) and has appeared on Pose and SNL. I really feel like you are becoming a just a real Broadway stage girl now. Like that, you are just like on the scene.
1: I I mean, I love, listen, I love the theater. I love to entertain, right? I love being in shows, whether it's theater, film, television, all that stuff. Um, You know, I'm not a spring chicken, um, (laughs) but I definitely, I'm really grateful that as a woman, as someone who's femme, knowing and watching sort of how things were for the girls, in the 80s and 90s primarily around age and not being able age and also career choice not just for women but there was a day there was a moment in time when like if you were a woman over 30 people were like okay you're done whatever you were doing you're done unless it's like mothering or you're suddenly grandmothering um and then if you were a singer, people were like, we don't want to see you acting. If you were an actor, they were like, please don't try to put out an album. And I think now we're in a little bit of a different era where people of different ages, obviously different identities, and um people who have more than one sort of interest or talent can can kind of do all those things. You know, I, I still think it's hard in the entertainment world, but you know, I've always been that stage girl, that Broadway girl, that show show girl at heart and and i've always been doing some type of performances even as a kid i was like in in theater things and you know drama club but i never would have dreamt like if you had told the eight nine year old ten me ten year old me that i would have been where i am now doing things on television having done broadway doing plays and things like that professionally without having to have another job you know not working at another, like, sort of what I would call a survival job in that context, I would have just slapped you and passed out, you know? <laughs> and so, I, I mean, that's kind of violent. I would have maybe just passed out. I would have slapped you. Um, I probably, so if somebody I'm,
0: told me, I would be... <laughs> talking to people on a podcast and doing what I'm doing at 38 years old, I would have slapped them too. So it's all right. I don't think it's but Okay, violent. good. Let's all, but let's just slap each other because it's like, <laughs> oh my God, slap, slap, slap.
1: Um, so it does feel really great, especially considering, and we probably talked about this at one point or another, that, you know, when I first sort of, when I was becoming an adult and I was mo- making the move to New York City to like figure out what being a sort of professional actor was all about, um, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I just didn't think that there was any room for me because at the time, the casting was not as updated and inclusive as it is now. The writing, they weren't telling stories the, as nuanced um, as they are these days. And so, like, even 10 years ago, like, there was, there, it didn't, the, if I had a magic eight ball, like, the, the future did not look very Right. You know, for me and people like me in entertainment. And so a lot has changed in the past handful of t- past 10 years, but definitely the past few years. And so I'm really grateful for that. And so I'm trying to strike while the iron's hot, even if that means I'll be striking at 50.
0: <laughs> well, look at all the people that look at the women that won the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes and the SAG yeah. this year. Everybody was well into their, you know, either late 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. Mm-hmm. So I think I love you know that. Me too. And a lot of those are definitely Broadway theater girls too. So It's true. You know, it's I'm true. just trying I'm just saying. <laughs> I got a big old hug from Michelle Yo. I almost passed out. She's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my whole oh, life and also a badass. So also a badass. She'll cut. Yeah. See, she'll slap somebody too. You know what I mean? I but- love it. I love it. <laughs>
1: and she's a veteran. She is, it's not, I mean, of course we love like the Susan Boyle of it all for other people. Like if, if she just gets plucked from obscurity, working at the diner, and now she's a big success or, you know, on a TV show, make, you know, making waves. But I really do love it when, I, when we get to see someone not only be recognized, it's great for people to be recognized but for people to have a stride and success even if it's a personal success in their career and and they feel new to us so like we're looking at them and michelle yo to a lot of people i'm sure they've only probably recognized her from a few of their things but when you look back on her career if you really do that deep dive then you're like whoa this is like a like this is legit
0: you it's know a career. And that's what feels it's a great career. yeah Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a huge career. You know, in the theater, there's been, a, a, since Shakespeare, really, with Twelfth Night, there's been drag representation. I mean, it's theater. It's like the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, women didn't even get a chance to perform in the theater, you know, during Shakespeare times. It was men dressing as, you know, female roles and playing mm-hmm. both, and nobody seemed to matter. And And now, you know, drag has become so incredibly like woven into the fabric of really like everyday pop culture society, right? I actually even just spoke about it on my last episode where I love the fact that even the techniques of drag makeup are are just like what everybody does now, like, <laughs> like contouring, like don't forget.
1: You know, I know, I was watching from. somebody, I've even seen people who like, I don't, eat. I'm, I know you haven't, this person hasn't been to a drag show or like, like their profile was so not the type of person that you would think would even engage in any drag stuff or do a sort of a deep dive on any drag stuff. But like, they're definitely using, it's like gone past probably a few years ago, all that drag makeup technique where where people like, I love Bianca Del Rio, so I'm going to copy her eye. Now it's like, I've never even heard of Bianca Del Rio, but I'm going to do this fabulous eye that I just heard about, you know, like all the drag techniques are like making their way through the makeup companies and into like everyday consumer sort of beauty makeup, which I just think is astounding. And wonderful. it is,
0: I mean, look at how the, even the Kardashians bake their face. I mean, they had people, mm-hmm. you know, teaching them techniques that have b- been used not only in drag, but also in theater, quite frankly. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that now when you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, you have young, you know, contestants saying, I grew up. It always kills me. I'm like, God, how old am I? Where they're like, I grew up in kindergarten watching RuPaul's Drag Race. And I'm like, what? Like, wait, how <laughs> old are you? Like, my wife and I will always be like, what? And they're like, I mean, 19. I'm like, oh, my God. But, you know, now it's such a shame that drag is being used as this like distraction tactic. And so, you know, for Mm. gun control, larger, disgusting politics from, you know, the right wing. And it's really it's it's such a disheartening time. And it's such it's just very it's it bums me out. But you're participating in a telethon in May called drag is dangerous with a ton of isn't drag. Isn't dangerous. Did I say drag? <laughs> Z? Oh my yes. God. <laughs> peppermint i need a coffee (laughs) friend it's time somebody is is
1: not it's not somebody was on the on a on a thing and they were like drag is not dangerous and then the the comment on twitter was like but these bitches do slay though and i was like yes that's so fair anyway okay yeah doing the telethon that
0: i should have said that's what i should have said (laughs) um but you're doing a telethon you know for you having your i mean you're really again theater drag performance obviously you were a contestant on Rupaul's drag race you were a groundbreaking contestant on Rupaul's drag race you've done one million episodes about that so I'm kind of not asking you too many questions about Rupaul's drag race because you and I have already talked about that I feel like I'm more interested in the theater of it all your music career Et etc so if you're wondering why that's that's why I feel like you and I <laughs> you and I have like cross you know dotted those I's and crossed those T's but how are you feeling about, you know, how drag is being picked on specifically in, in, in what seems like to me in the most ridiculous, silly way possible, but that's my own opinion. But how, how is it feeling for you, especially now that you've kind of transcended, not transcended drag, but you've, you know, gone on to do much more theater since like where how do you feel about it now?
1: Well, I feel very personally attacked by it because, you know, I, I say once a queen, always a queen. And so, you know, I obviously have my thoughts and feelings about it. It, it, You're right. It feels it just what I feel is a shame is that it it does come off to me to be so disingenuous. And and and, you know, I don't like to I try my best to stay away from like certain buzzwords and things like manufactured outrage uh but it is it does it does it does it rings untrue to me to see someone suddenly talking about drag when they haven't mentioned it in any other when they're not mentioning in any other context on and i guess i'm particularly talking about social media where you can kind of see a record or of receipts and you know But even for public figures and people on the news and things like that to be sort of purporting a lot of these things, um, it is, you know, it is upsetting uh, primarily because it's kind of silly to see drag the subject like the general subject of drag is being called a groomer and a pedophile like a subject can't be a groomer, you know, like it's not a person, uh, just like the music can't be generalized all with one thing and so. I, I, on one hand that feels ridiculous, but on the other hand, it is, it is striking a chord with people and and people are obviously, you know, upset and hurt to see a lot of these attacks happening. And also besides that, then it opens up the doors for people who are inspired to go and, as individuals, harass and and sort of target drag entertainers and drag shows and, and things. And that's obviously upsetting. Nobody wants that. Uh, It puts people at risk, for sure. Uh, And it creates a safety issue where there wasn't necessarily one prior to that. And, you know, drag entertainers uh, are the, you know, I want to call them, you know, like the bastions of the queer community. Like these are the people who oftentimes are on the front lines, waking up during the day to march and fight and volunteer and engage politically, many, not all, and then at night keep us entertained and then keep us entertained many times in a really thoughtful, creative way that oftentimes does include talking about politics and you know social issues and things like that in a way that can make a drunk patron think differently about, you know, AIDS and HIV and how they fit into the, the world of voting or whatever. Drag has the power to do all these things. Um, And I think that people have recognized that. And so they're using, they're targeting it to try to smear the, the, the subject of drag so that drag becomes synonymous with the words pedophile and groomer. And, you know, just l- sort of Lobbing that sort of accusation onto all drag queens who've ever done drag is just it's and it's, yet the catholic
0: church remains yeah <laughs> remains mm, slightly the unscathed Scott-free, moving yeah. people
1: around and we actually have names and proof of individuals there's actually lawsuits and 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 You know, in some places, even policy and legislation that's aimed at protecting the victims of sex abuse at the hands of, uh, you know, religious figures and clergy and all of that. And so it's just it just it feels disingenuous and it feels like, you know, I am concerned about gun violence and I don't want people to be hurt and shot and shot up. And it it's heartbreaking to me every single time. I don't know exactly what to do about it because there's been so much energy into the conversation of, for instance, gun violence. And most of the energy that seems to prevail, at least in modern times, is the energy that suppresses that conversation yeah. about it. And so, you know, what are we supposed to do? You know, I, I, I don't know what else there is to do if 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 we're talking about actually keeping kids safe from the number 1 cause of death in this country which is gun violence then you know why aren't we talking about gun control you know and so it just it obviously seems ridiculous but the bigger portion of that that is really tough for me as someone who's also trans at, and a drag performer at the same time is that you know the the LGBTQ community although we don't we don't own the notion of drag because there are um, cisgender, heterosexual people who attempt to use drag. Um, historically, they have and they've done their, their things in drag, but it's they've not. They've tried.
0: They've tried. masterful. Yeah, they've tried <laughs>
1: um, it, it on for the LGBTQ community. We are a fraction of the general population. And there is a certain amount of energy and time and money and attention that we can put towards defending ourselves and fighting back against these sort of things. And unfortunately, it seems, fortunately, the queer community is rallying behind drag entertainers. Unfortunately, that means even less people rallying behind the most marginalized of the people in our community who are trans folks and and trans youth. And so we're not guarding all of the doors. We're all rushing over here to engage in this sort of almost imaginary fight, certainly manufactured fight. And then meanwhile, like simultaneously, they are continuing to write through policy that Just this week, there's there was they dismantled Roe v. Wade even further in certain states, and there's they're still attacking reproductive health rights, and they're still attacking uh, healthcare for trans individuals. They said it was just kids; now it's also adults in many states. They literally just opened it up and put it to adults, and so like we're, it's it is, I'm incensed at how and so frustrated and and at how at how this is playing out.
0: You know, for me, I said it it was interesting yesterday. I was talking, um, whatever, on one radio show and I brought it to Instagram where I said, you know, how interesting would it be if cis white straight women talked about equality, particularly trans rights, particularly black female trans rights, right? Like Like they do Vanderpump Rules. Just think about oh, that.
1: Oh my gosh! Like, just
0: just take a moment. That, just take a just take a minute. Uh, just take a minute. Uh, what if what if white straight women talked about equality at all? In particular, like equality at all. Fine, I'll even I'll just give it a blanket statement. Any or black and br- or black and brown folks, regardless if they're trans, queer, whatever. The way that the attention of those two stupid people in the valley had sex. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, could you imagine? You are telling
1: the truth. You're telling the truth and it's, you're right. You're right. Which is why it's so shocking to me. I mean, I guess I'm not that shocked to see these, these, these white gals talking about, you know, Vanderpump, but it is shocking to me when the conservative of those, of that group have the nerve to turn around and try to say something about drag or, because they're uh, the drunk ones
0: in the brag, the drag <laughs> exactly. brunches, and they've ruined the <laughs> Abbey. No, but I, but I'm, and I'm serious. I think, like, listen. I think being, you know, a queer person today, but particularly being a trans woman of color, is such a political act. And it, if we don't start to rally around, you know, you see it even in politics. Like, I'm a member of LPAC, and we support queer female identifying and non-binary folks to get into office. And the reason why I'm so passionate about it and not to like use this as my soapbox, but it's like a lot of the times we rally around white cis gay men to go in office. Well, that's, you know, they have diff- they have a different type of privilege than a lot of other queer folks. And so, as you said, if we're all like having to, they shift our groups around all the time as distraction tactics. And so you're right. We're like, holding the door over here, but we're leaving a lot of very, very vulnerable folks just open for attack. And, you know, I think if we keep all of our eyes open and we try to be more empathetic about what other people are going through, then maybe it'll help. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I, I told Sherry Vine, I'm going to call into the telethon. <sighs> I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to I was like a person that I was a person that called into the radio, Peppermint, like straight up, like i sent in demos. I tried to I tried to be the voice uh, of one oh two point nine KBLX, which is uh, the R&B station in the bay. I am like a radio. I mean, this is what I do. I was just on Sirius last week. Like I'm calling in. I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) say. I'm going to be like, well, well take my debit card. we can have a card.
1: conversation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I told well, Sherry. Sharon- I,
1: I used to do the same thing, too. And I would always miss the... Because there was always, like, a little bit of a... Delay, with radio, it's, like, not when you're hearing it. And so I would always miss it.
0: What celebrity <laughs> do you want to call in?
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I would love... I, it would be great to get, you know who I would love to have call in? Beyonce. I would love oh, Beyonce to call word. in. Okay. Uh, not because not just because I'm a huge fan, but because it would be uh, here we go now. The beehive may come after me. Um it would, Please be, be, it would careful. be so wonderful. Pepperman, I can't I, I can't have the
0: beehive on me. I feel like I've almost I said know. something. <laughs>
1: I know. No, I, I I think um we are definitely in a in a moment that feels very heightened. And so to me, it's all hands on deck. And I can see the connection between gay rights, queer rights, trans rights, women's rights, rights for people of color, rights for disabled people. To me, those things all intersect at some point or another, especially in in the context of our rights being taken away or the people who are attacking those groups. Because a lot of times the people who are attacking people of color are also the people who are attacking poor folks and it's the same group that are writing legislation against women and it's literally the same architect the, the person who was behind the attack on critical race theory christopher rufo is also the same exact person who said what after i finished with critical race theory and making sure that black history was removed from schools um now i'm going to move on to the trans community and that's exactly what he did so it's the same people and so when it's like that I view this as an all hands on deck situation. And as much as I love sort of um, symbolic tolerance and symbolic sort of allyship, I just think we've moved on past that. We learned a lot in 2020 and I would really love, I I just want all women to see that it benefits them to, to, to advocate on behalf of trans women not being, you know, legislated back to the 1950s, because if they can do it to trans women, they can do it to cis women too. And so I think it would, I I would, I hope that someone as wonderful as Beyonce can see that her voice has an impact and that if they're doing it to these groups, which they are, they're doing it to these groups. If she can see that they're doing it to these groups, then hopefully she'll see that her influence might be able to change some hearts and minds and it benefits her, even if she doesn't think that it, that it's affecting her directly. And that goes for all of these divas and all these people that we look up to and all these people who sort of have their profile in more than one demographic right and so yeah I would love to hear Beyonce call in I would love to see uh, I mean Margaret Cho is definitely going to be involved um, I would love to see I would love to see all the main major divas I would personally love Janet Jackson just so yeah, I can talk to her Miss Janet um, if you're nasty
0: yeah. 100% <laughs> and Padma Lakshmi <laughs> oh I feel like we could we could pull Padma um, well, yeah. I'm definitely going to call. I'm not a diva, though. I think I've memorized every VH1 Divas Live episode that I mean, ever happened. Let me tell you. Wouldn't that
1: be funny if in the drag telethon, we actually recreated some of the Divas Live moments? <gasps> I miss Divas Live so much, honey. That was, we
0: would like tune in for Divas Live. I love Peppermint so much. Every time I talk to her, I'm like, oh, my God, you're a star. You're a star. I really, I just love her. And if Beyonce really does call into this telethon, I really hope I'm getting some sort of credit. Because obviously, Beyonce listens to this podcast. Um, Sherry Vine is next up. Sherry Vine is an OG, an OG YouTuber. She has like 20 plus million views for her impressions. Um, She's done a ton of local shows here in L.A. And then you'll end up hearing she's really toured the world, which is really fascinating. And she gives me a great perspective about the drag space and how it's evolved and changed over the last 30 years that she's been performing. Where are you, Sherry? Are you in L.A.? I'm in beautiful,
2: beautiful Burbank, California.
0: Oh, my God, Sherry Vine, I'm in Glendale, babe. What? Hi, neighbor. Come on over. Oh, my God. Have you ever been to Yoga Art?
2: No, but I'm obsessed with the Galleria.
0: With the Galleria. I'm close to the Galleria. Fun fact, never been to the Galleria in my life. What? I know. I know. I just moved to Glendale in the summer. I'm loving it. I love being over here. We were actually looking at Burbank and Glendale, and we ended up in Glendale. But there is a place right between, like almost on the line between Burbank and Glendale called Yoga Art, and it is the best soft serve ever. Ooh. So meet me there for an ice cream cone. Oh,
2: well, and there's a place that I love to have lunch. I'm terrible with the name, but it's Japanese, and it's in the Galleria, and you can sit outside, and it's the most... Oh, my God, it's delicious. It's one of my favorite places.
0: You know, Burbank and, and Glendale, like, this area, it's a funny one, because it's actually such old Hollywood. Yeah. And it's really... I think people, you know, when they don't live in Los Angeles, they kind of think, like, West Hollywood and... You know, first of all, when people say they're moving to downtown Los Angeles or going to downtown, I'm like, honey, don't do it. Don't
2: do it. Run, run. I was in New York City for almost 30 years. And so when I moved here, I was really, in my mind, I was was like, I'm moving downtown. Downtown's ready. And then when I went to kind of explore, I was like, downtown's not ready. And certainly, I was like, I don't want to be walking in drag at midnight downtown. So, no.
0: Um, it's it's definitely though I will tell you, I did at midnight go to one of my favorite places to see drag in downtown Los Angeles, right before the pandemic, which is Precinct.
2: Yeah, love it.
0: Which I love. Um, now I'm born and raised from San Francisco. I grew up going to like Harry Denton's. Are you familiar?
2: I've heard of it, yes, of course.
0: Okay. Old school, old school drag brunch. Harry Denton Starlight Room. I actually did a video. I didn't know what I was doing back then. It was when YouTube first came up and I put it on YouTube and it like I got all hundreds of thousands of views, which was crazy. These wow. beautiful drag queens. There's also like you know, there's so many iconic places that I was lucky to go to and and you know, growing up, we would go for birthdays or, you know, my uncle who unfortunately passed away, but I would go like with his whole crew for like, you know, a brunch or whatever. Los Angeles for me, for drag, again, it's such a like, it's such a, we're so lucky that there's so many opportunities to go and see, you know, these performances. And wh- how do you feel like when you go on the road, like, or ha- when you've been on the road, is it like one place typically in a town? Is it a few places? Like, I feel like we're so lucky we have so many options, but on the road there aren't. And when there aren't that, if there aren't that many options, how, like, how does it make you feel kind of like entering these sacred spaces for these small towns?
2: Well, um, I mean, are you talking specifically, I guess, about the United States?
0: Yeah, United States.
2: Yeah, okay, because I perform all over and I love drag so much that I... I'm always excited to go. If I have the time, I will go see a local drag show no matter where I am. Or I've told like, you know, promoters like, oh, if you're gonna have me get get some local queens to come and do something to open the show, you know, just for fun, I love drag. And you know, it depends where you are. Like if you go somewhere like Atlanta or Austin, like someplace that's super cool and has a huge gay drag scene, there's lots of choices. And I've gone other places where I'm like, okay, there there are not a lot of choices. Right. I did a show in Keene, New Hampshire last year. It was their very, very first Pride event. And I'm doing it again in September with Peppermint. Oh, and love it. Last, it was like me, Tina Burner, Scarlet Envy, um, a bunch of queens from that part of the country. Like, boston area new hampshire but in Keene specifically there really was not any there's not really like a gay bar and there wasn't really a place they had just started doing brunch at this restaurant hotel and it was a huge success well for the drag show to celebrate pride they ended up having to rent this like 1200 seat theater and it was sold out yeah And it's just like, okay, no one really was kind of expecting that. But there was like this real thirst to see a drag show. And it was so fun. It was amazing.
0: What was how old were you when you first went to your first drag show?
2: Well, I think I was probably uh, the first one I remember really going to was in L.A. when I was in grad school. So I was already like 20, 21.
0: And what was it like? Like what? Was it a drag brunch? Was it like nighttime? What, what was it like?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Baltimore and the drag at that time was very pageant. Ah, yes. You go to the gay clubs and whatever. You just really did not see drag. I mean, you just you just didn't. I didn't in Baltimore at this time. You it was a very different world, like a special night once a month was like the drag night or whatever. And we just, I just didn't have kind of an an interest in that kind of drag. I remember one of the first things I saw in LA was this drag queen named Vaginal Cream Davis, who's total like punk, crazy, like complete opposite of what you were seeing in West Hollywood at the time, which was like, you know, Queens and lip syncing to Whitney Houston, which is gorgeous. I, But to see Vaginal Cream Davis, just get up there and like, be like, kind of punk and sing about some song she wrote about shrimping toes. I was just like, wait a minute. This can be drag also. And that's when I really kind of was like, oh, my God, this I
0: love. I, I do love kind of the new there's so many different. It feels like with drag, they're always the pageant, the pageantry of it all like will always remain. I think that's just like a tried and true kind of uh, yeah. aesthetic. But I do love some of the different, more. I don't want to say artistic because, quite frankly, like it's all insanely artistic. But a little bit more avant-garde, I should say. Some of the other lanes of drag, I think, are really, really exciting. And I love to see different people's interpretation of, like, even just a song. Like, how if if it's going to go a comedic way, or if it's going to go spooky, or if it's going to go. You know what I mean? Like ballad insane. It's just it's great to see people's energy and minds come to life through their drag, you know, because like you could have well, two yeah. Whitney Houston's
2: My diversity. I don't want to see what it'd be so boring so quickly if everybody did the same thing. I mean, look, I sing about poop and penis parodies, and that is not for everybody. And that's fine. It shouldn't be. And there's an audience for what I do. And there are other people, including like there are gay men who are just like, Ugh, that is so stupid. I'm like, OK, yeah, that's I can't argue with that. But <laughs> luckily, people who think it's funny, then you can have some, you know, pageant queen or someone lip syncing to Whitney Houston or someone doing comedy. Like, I love that there's choices.
0: Yeah. And there needs to be because, you know, it has to you got to have a little different flavor i mean even so you're participating in this drag isn't dangerous
1: incredible
0: telethon may 7th and the folks that you're even participating with i mean it's every kind of it's the alaskas of the world monet exchange katia like you've got so many different peppermint so many different styles aesthetics where people are from it's so incredible to all come together when you first learned about these ridiculous, awful, I mean, I I can't, it's just like the, it's just spineless kind of uh, organizations that are trying to insinuate that drag is dangerous. What did you first, how did you first react when you started to hear that people were trying to insinuate that drag was dangerous?
2: Well, I mean, I knew immediately that it wasn't anything to do about drag. It has nothing to do with drag, that it's just diversion yep so john stewart said it so perfectly no one can say it better than when he was just like <laughs> what are the what's the top killer of children and i'm going to give you a clue it's not drag and the guy's like i am i suppose you're going to say guns well it's not like i i'm just making it up that is a fact guns mm-hmm. it's more than cancer or car crashes and drag queens So it's just a diversion so that people aren't talking about guns. I know, it's The, the dangerous thing, though, is that it's just the very beginning, because I think now that they're like, we can realizing they can get away with it, that it's just the tip of the iceberg of things that they're going to try and take away from people.
0: You know, I well, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, it's such a diversion tactic. It's so sickening. I mean, these are the same people that allow their, you know, three-year-old daughters to join pageants, which, you know, are like, what is it? You know, that's just performance art, right? Like to them.
2: It's the same people, the Huck, Sarah Huckabee. And I mean, it's it's the same people that are like, we don't want the government telling us what to do. Keep the government out. Then it's like you. That's exactly what you're doing. You, the government, are telling parents what they can and can't do with their children.
0: It's it's really it's really something that it's really sickening. It's really sad. It's very scary. I'm, that's why I was so excited when you know I received kind of word about the telethon that you're doing, and I said, "What can I? Do? You know, how can I help? What can I do? What?" Like, anything, right? Like, how can I use my platform? Because drag is such an important... It's theater. It's it's so, like, hello. It's like Shakespeare was out here fucking twelfth-nighting it. Like, what? You know what I mean? It's like, what are you
2: talking about? For 32 years, and my show has always been adult. I used to, even on my website, you used to have to say you were 18 to enter my website. Because it's always been an adult show. I've never had any interest in reading books to kids now that being said that doesn't mean that someone else should not that wants to do it should not be allowed to do it and it should be up to the parents whether they could do it or not and whenever i do like a brunch show i make it very clear okay i this is an adult thing and if i see like you know younger people in the audience i will go over and tell the parent like okay this is what's going to happen. And you have a choice and they're like, it's nothing they can't see on HBO. I'm like, exactly. And it's just stupid humor. It's not, it's not like trying to groom kids. That's ridiculous. But so my point is one, if someone wants to read books to kids and the parents want this drag queen to read their books, to the books, to these kids, then they should be allowed to do that period. No question. Two like I said, what scares me the most is that it's just the beginning. Yeah. Next, okay, take away gay marriage, take away rights for LGBT people. Certainly, let's take away the everything for trans people. That's disgusting. Let's then take away, then what's next? Like, okay, no interracial marriages. I mean, it's just like the tip of the iceberg.
0: It also really feels ironic and ridiculous that, you know, when I go to drag shows, I see all these like straight women, like, in the audience. and really, I feel as though a lot of the parents that are proposing, you know, that drag is dangerous, a lot of them are mothers, are, you know, straight white women
2: they're and they're so they're so hypocritical. I mean, how many now? of these men who are against drag have been outed as them, they, they have done drag or been around and friends with drag queens. I worship Barbara Seville, the drag queen in Phoenix, who called out Carrie Lake, who is all anti-drag with fo- of like, she was like, girl, I have been to your house and performed for your children in drag. Yeah. the hypocrisy is pretty it's it's a hypocrisy because it's just a tactic it's something look the republicans are brilliant at latching on to spin diversions gave you know jerry falwell with um special rights that's how they dubbed gay rights special it's like it's not special it's the same it's equal rights not special But they are a—they're brilliant at spinning things so that people get all up in a tizzy about it. The Democrats, sadly, are terrible at that. Yeah, I wish they were better at spinning things and catchphrases and stuff because that's that's where we're at. The Republicans are just so good at it. It has nothing to do with drag; it just doesn't. But it's the beginning.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Sadly, when you when
2: you. They all want it to be Gilead. And then it's these stupid, straight women who are stupid because Marjorie Taylor Greene, Sarah Huckabee, who think they have not watched Handmaid's Tale, where the women who are architects of Gilead are then also lose all their rights. They're not allowed to read. They have to just stay and be a housewife. And it's like, but wait a minute. I didn't mean me.
0: Well, <laughs> so, right. And then they have absolutely no rights if they can't produce children, because that's all they're, they're- you know, in service to men for, which is insane. When you go overseas and do your show, is it much different? Do you feel like, um, I mean, obviously the politics are different country to country. Here it's even state to state. But when you're doing drag in other countries, are there any places that you feel like it's less safe or like you love doing drag in a particular country. I've never. Yeah,
2: I've been lucky to be to go all over. And there's places like like I used to perform fairly often in Budapest in Hungary. And it was so much fun and had such a cool gay scene and drag lots of drag queens. And now because Orban, who is another, you know, Trump and they're all these kind of like Fascist dictators that are you can kind of group together. I just did a show in February in Tel Aviv, and now it's like, are we going to be able to do that ever again if Netanyahu gets his way? So that can be scary. And then on the other side of the coin, I this same tour, I went and did a show in Kosovo, which is this little country that a lot of people in the United States are like, where? And I'm like, it used to be part of Yugoslavia. They were in a, a, a genocide war with Serbia. And it's, you know, a predominantly Muslim country. Very yeah. And I was a little nervous. I did my research and said, OK, it's the same level as France and Germany. It's safe to go there. Then I did a little more research. Is it safe to go there? It's like a gay man performing in drag. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty safe. So I was a little nervous, but I went and they had. One queer club, less than a year old, but there's like a good like five or six drag queens that do a show there every weekend. And just that was like so surprised. So they were expecting like maybe hoping to have 100 people come. They had to rent this warehouse because 600 people showed up for this drag show. And it was just like they're like, we've never had anything like this here. And. It gave me hope and I was like so cool to be like, OK, there's obviously people in this country who are not for this, but they don't say anything. They're just like, I'm not going to go. Great. Don't go.
0: I, exactly. I don't like, you know, a lot of musical theater. So I don't go.
2: <laughs> Honey, I don't like I mean, I, I
0: could I can tell you a million things. I don't like I don't know, like Marvel movies. So I just don't go <laughs> like it's not that. See, that's the thing. I think that's so puzzling to me. It's like, why are you inserting your and well, it's puzzling. But also, as you said, it's a a diversion tactic. But it's so wild to me when people just insert themselves and get passionate about something that has nothing the fuck to do with them. Like, period.
2: They show these photos of drag queens dressed, you know, in a bra and panties in high heels doing like splits and stuff in front of little kids and. They're the ones who are kind of like sexualizing it. But then it's like exactly you said, it's like, what about all these putting dressing six year olds up to look like 30 year old prostitutes for a pageant? Or you, I saw someone put a meme up of this family with like three or four little kids in front of cheerleaders that were like in fishnets and high heels with a sign that said, fuck Biden. And I'm like, yeah, OK, that's great. Like, that's OK. But reading a book to a kid is, in drag is not OK. So it's just complete hypocrisy.
0: What is the biggest change you've seen on the drag circuit in 32 years of doing drag?
2: Well, it's definitely more mainstream now. I think it's the first time in the United States that it's actually an ex- a legitimate art form. Mm hmm. But. I started, it really wasn't, it was so fringe still. And the majority of the audience would be gay men, except for like, you know, in New York where I did Bardo and stuff in the nineties, you would get a really cool mixed crowd. But if you went to like some of the gay bars, it was mostly just gay men. And so that has changed. Um, and like I said, it's a legitimate effort. Now, now there's, you see drag queens on TV and movies and they can you can make money. Um, so, it, yeah, it's changed in that way a lot.
0: I mean, I think, you know, again, like growing up in San Francisco in the 90s, that fringe culture was so special and felt so political. However, it's interesting now drag has been so commercialized. I mean, listen, I love RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm always I will always watch. Good season, bad season, don't care. I'm always all stars. Sure, why not? I don't watch any of the other countries, but I definitely watch the ones here. Um, and 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 it's gotten real, yeah, like commercialized. You know, I mean, I feel like now you watch the show and it's like an audition for the Vegas offshoot, you know? But it's still, and it's so funny because it's so big now, like you said, it's so, you you can make money, which is amazing. But that fringe element, that like, political element even though it's so polished kind of as an art form now or rather they're mainstream it it feels like drag always has to be political and and even if it is you know what i mean like it is it's they're making well, it such a political act now
2: yeah i mean it's funny you say that because i have had this conversation many many times with other drag queens that are really political uh a really good friend of mine in berlin is a very like her whole kind of thing is political activism in drag and certain like the sisters are very kind of political and i've always stayed away from politics in my show even though i personally am very political i always wanted my show to be that one hour where i take you away from the real world. I feel like people have been um, watching CNN all day, reading the paper and this and that all day. And I'm like, let's have one hour of just being silly and stupid and laughing. And so I do think that that is kind of political. Now, certainly with everything going on, just leaving your house in drag is political activism.
0: I think being queer is an act. It was interesting. Well, yeah. I was, you okay. know what I mean? I was talking to somebody the other day about Pride and whatever their plans, and they said, oh, well, you know, the client would like to stay away from anything that has to do with legislation and politics. And I was like, well, that's going to be very fucking difficult because being queer right now is an act of rebellion, unfortunately, in this weird, like, as you said, Gilead fucking country that we're living in. So I- don't yes. see how that's possible. And, and if we're celebrating, quote, influencers or whatever in queer culture, like being out and being public is is such a and a huge act. But then it's an interesting time because so many young people identify as being queer. Like when you and I were growing up, I feel like not everybody was out and queer.
2: No way. No way. Well, yeah, it's great. I mean, look, even someone for someone who's trans, it's political activism every day that they go out because they are going to potentially face danger every day. So that is activism, just living your life. It shouldn't yep. be, but it is. And certainly dragon and all. And so now I do a lot of brunch shows, like in Palm Springs, like the other day, where 120 people, 90% straight women. I know, which is great, great, gorgeous. Have a good time. And and I never would say anything political before my show. And now I just end it with like, I don't care who you voted for. It's none of my business. That's the whole point. But if you enjoy today's drag show at this gay owned venue, just remember that the next time you vote.
0: I, I can't I mean, I can't imagine how right now you couldn't. I mean, and that's why, you know, I really. You know, a lot of my audience is straight white women who have queer kids or I don't know. I always kind of joke that they're probably like bi-curious or whatever it might be and why they're listening. But but, you know, I think a lot of them want to know how they can help the queer community again, whether it's they've got friends or their kids or family members or whatever. And it is really now. I mean, it is very dire and it's very important who you vote for i mean i couldn't imagine you standing up in palm springs in front of a bunch of straight white women and be like hello can you go home and think about this and also like talk to your fucking husbands like well you know I mean,
2: you ha- i mean if i believe my opinion and other people have their own way of doing things but i don't think you win anyone over by alienating them
0: yeah it's true okay
2: so- oh. I prefer to try and win people over just like, you know, with sugar.
0: (laughs) So you're not you're not signing any petitions to stop letting uh, bachelorette parties happen at the Abbey.
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) Around when there was with before we had marriage equality where a lot of the bars, even in New York City, were just like okay, women can only come in if they're with gay men and certainly no bachelorette parties or anything like that. And I kind of understood that when the Abbey did do that before with marriage equality. But like I said, I just was like, I don't know if that's the right tactic. Um, There was one place that had booked me to perform and then a friend of mine wanted to come and they said, no women. And I'm like, why? It's not like a bathhouse or a sex party even, it's just a gay, like we don't want women. I'm like, OK, well, I'm not- there are
0: still there are still a couple of places like that there in New York. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but it's funny. I was talking about it with another podcaster, Taylor Strecker, and we were talking about there's a couple of gay bars in New York. Well, th- like all of a sudden you're like strangely kicked out of it and you're like, why am I kicked out of this? You know, it's it's a it's an interesting it's I, you know, again, like growing up in San Francisco, I remember you had to go to like, ba- I mean, Badlands, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm taking you back, Sherry. I'm doing this on purpose just for you and me. But like, Badlands, they there's no way they would have let me in had I not gone in with like, my bro- one of my brothers is gay, uh, definitely. And it didn't matter if I was queer or not. There was like no way. And there are a lot of places in San Francisco, I think, you know, I can't remember the name of that bar. It's up the street from Badlands on the same... Side of the street, across the street from the hot cookie. I can't remember the name of it, but I got into a fight with some guy there who kept trying to kick me out. And I'm like, why are you fucking kicking me out of here? I'm just drinking a, you know, a drink with my brother and his friends. And like, oh, by the way, like, do I have to scream that I eat pussy? Like, get out of here. Like, what's your problem? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is your problem? Like, leave me alone.
2: I mean, look, I kind of get it in one way. There were, there's like, there were some girl bars in the '90s in New York City that absolutely would not let a man in. Absolutely not. They let drag queens in, but even gay men, no.
0: What, like Cubbyhole? Was Cubbyhole like that?
2: That bad. There was a party called Clit Club at Mother. Yeah. And they, I, they loved me, and I was friends with them. They, I usually was in drag, and I would go, and they were fine. But there you know, there. And I
0: kind of get that. I'm like, OK, you've got
2: one or two safe spaces and you want it to be, you know.
0: I know it's the- tough. It's tough because now I feel like we're in a position where, you know, we but have if there's a
2: drag show. I don't think they whatever. That's just my opinion. Peppermint and I did. It's too bad she's not here because we did a show together in London where a friend of ours, cisgender woman wanted to come and see the show. And now they do have like a a backroom action and stuff. So I, could, they were like, no, no women. I mean, she's not going to go. out. She just was well, she's going to come in and see the show and leave. And it took like all this prodding and prying before they finally said, OK, and she could come in and watch the show. And then she left and she's like, I don't want to go back there and see guys fucking in the dark anyway. So don't worry.
0: Yeah, me too, Sherry. I would have been <laughs> like, I'm out of here. You guys have all the fun you want right i mean throw it's me not, a couple of poppers I, for my own party and i'm out of here just kidding i've never even done poppers i'm dying to i feel like i'm bad gay because i haven't i don't know what it would do to me i feel like i'd be into it and then i'd be like what what's happening you know
2: yeah the ego used to be really strict, even at one time about i mean they wouldn't even let they had a very strict dress code so i can understand they didn't no cisgender women no like tennis shoes no gay guys in tennis shoes or like whatever it was very but that was the that was their theme and they were wanted to keep that. So I came like, okay, I get that. So in San Francisco in place, we have lots of choices. So one place is not going to let you in. Let's go somewhere else.
0: Yeah. I think it's an interesting time. I think, you know, we all have to sort of look out for each other because everyone's being attacked, especially trans women of color, which I just talk about an act of, you know, having to be political at all times. It's just like, it's awful. It's like, you know, it's, Again, I don't I don't understand somebody's existence affecting other people. Um, But, you know, whatever. We're as you said, it's all a diversion tactic you're on. Is it season two of your variety show?
2: Yeah, we we're editing season two right now, and it's premiering June 4th on out TV. Season one can currently be seen on out TV and Air Canada. I just found out Air Canada has season one on their TV choices.
0: That's amazing. I know. I oh thought my god! <laughs> what? It I love that. Made my day. Wait, that's hysterical on Air. Can- First of all, shout out to Air Canada. Right. <laughs> I've only flown Air Canada a few times. I used to work. I used to work for a Canadian company, so I would go a couple of times here and there on Air Canada. But I'm into that. On a settle in on a Canadian flight. I- with Sherry Vine? Yes. Um, what, how is season two different or an evolution of season one? Like, what can people expect?
2: Well, for me, like watching season, I'm very critical of myself. And so watching season one, I learned a lot. Like once it was done and we were editing and everything. I was like, oh, the sketches sometimes are like seven minutes long. And I'm like, I don't want to do that again. I think I want it to move faster. So let's have two three minute sketches where everyone gets to play different characters and do different things. And so I think it moves a lot faster. Um, I only did like in season one, like one commercial parody, but people loved it. So I was like, okay, we need one commercial parody in every episode. The musical numbers we really did all five songs are original from start to finish. Last time we like, I would like, buy music that was already made on pond five and just write lyrics and this time we started from scratch and we have like five original songs that i wrote the lyrics to all of them and with jackie doing one and we kind of turned the volume up on the looks and stuff so Mm. it moves fast it looks a little bit more expensive we have more locations um the guests of course are just Amazing! Like last time, we've got Bianca Del. Jackie's in every episode, and we've got Bianca Del Rio, Monet Exchange, Varla Jean Merman, Tammy Brown, Kelly Mantle. Um Who am I missing? Pandora Box, Manila Luzon. It's a really, mm. really, really exciting season.
0: Strong. That's a lot. We- yes,
2: we did. Lot.
0: <laughs> it sounds like it. I mean, also a Pond 5 reference. I mean, you are real. I gave you Badlands. You gave me Pawn 5. I mean, uh, this is just <laughs> incredible. Who's someone that you haven't? feel like you've really, I mean, you've toured all over the world. You are, there's a ton of people even on this Drag Isn't Dangerous telethon. You've got amazing guest stars on your variety show. Who's somebody that you haven't like, either performed with or haven't worked with yet that you'd love to? Um, You know, I don't
2: think I've ever met Chad Michaels, which is so bizarre. Really? I know. Considering we're both, like, around the same age and have been both been doing it for so long in the same circle, I'm like... Like, you've
0: never even met before or you just haven't done anything?
2: No, I don't think we've ever met before. And I've always wanted to, like, literally since... She was on Drag Race all those years ago. I've just been
0: like, how come I don't know Chad Michaels? I did <laughs> not expect you to say that. Yeah. That seems wild. To it's me. great. But there's a couple things I
2: really have. I really want to do something with Alaska. And I've done a lot with Alaska. We're good friends and we've done the Golden Girls and stuff together. And we hang out. I love her so much. But I'm kind of obsessed with doing a mother daughter act with Alaska.
0: Oh, my God. Also, I think that da- Alaska lives over this way, too. We should all go get an ice cream cone. And I <laughs> definitely or we can hang out at the Galleria. I definitely a mother daughter. I would die
2: when that's funny because just everyone's always like, oh, my God, you guys look like you could be sisters I'm like, well, tech mother and daughter. But uh, I have told her about that and she laughs and I'm like, so one day we're going to do a mother daughter act.
0: I love that. I told you the episode was going to be pretty political because guess what? These motherfuckers out here have made being queer political. Being queer in a world that hasn't accepted you for generations isn't easy. To be honest with you, I'm going through some shit right now where I'm pretty sure somebody really doesn't like Rachel and I because we're queer. Don't really want to go into it, but I feel it. I have felt homophobia many times in my life and I haven't even really been out that long. And I am a passing queer. So there you go. What I'm excited about, though, is I'm excited that we have 16 million 18-year-olds in 2024 that will be eligible to vote, which is really exciting. And being informed matters. And I think we've rested on our laurels for too long about the state of the world. And it's time we wake the fuck up and protect our children from guns and not fake eyelashes and glitter.